Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week, Pastor Steve Benninger brings us a message entitled, Seven Habits of Joy-Filled, Jesus-Loving, Difference-Making People. You can find the sermon outline for this message at enewlife.com. Hey, you know, I hope that your Christmas celebration was great. I really do. I hope it was special. I hope that in the midst of all the festivities that you were able to remind each other of the greatest Christmas gift of all, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus, the arrival of salvation, amen, to our planet. But now 2016 is upon us, right? And I wonder what this new year holds. I wonder what it holds for you. I wonder what it holds for me. How many are hoping this is gonna be a better year than, than 2015? Can I just see your hands? Yeah, okay, lots of us. <laughs> and you know, to me it feels like this is gonna be a pivotal year for our country as well. You think about all the threats that the United States is facing on multiple fronts, economic uncertainties, and the opportunity we have in the year 2016 to elect a new president, to lead us. Oh, Seems to me this needs to be a year of prayer of fervent prayer, of crying out to God for his kingdom to come, his will to be done, to prevail in our land. And so I've been starting to think about 2016 as, as the year to draw near, the year to draw near to God. I'm asking him to show us his plan for how he wants that to unfold here. How about for you and me personally? I wonder, how will 2016 be different for us? How will it be different for you? We all know by now, right? There is no magical effect just from the flipping over of the calendar. Just because it went from December 31st to January 1st does not mean that you're automatically going to become that brand new person, right? That, that you wanna become, that you're automatically gonna shed those unwanted pounds that you accumulated over the holidays or become a better spouse, or a better parent, or grow closer to Jesus, or whatever else you might have your, your sights set on. We all wish that the arrival of a new year would automatically, you know, bring about those kinds of things, but, but we know better, right? It's not automatic. I was thinking last year marked the 25th anniversary of the release of a best-selling book uh, by Stephen Covey, it was titled the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many of you ever read that book? Yeah, some good advice in there. Even if you haven't read it, you've probably heard some of the phrases because they've kind of become ingrained in our culture. Uh, phrases like, begin with the end in mind and be proactive and put first things first and think win-win and those kinds of things. Some good stuff helped a lot of people. But what I'd like to do today is I'd like to borrow Covey's title and massage it a little bit and uh, present to you what I believe to be seven habits, not of highly effective people, but highly joyful people and highly Jesus-loving people and highly difference-making people. Now, I don't think this is gonna like sweep the country and make me rich and all that, but that's okay. I just want you to know about a, a well-worn pathway to more joy deeper love for Jesus and an increasing impact from your life in the year 2016. So take out the rich, meaty study outline that I have in your worship folder there and borrow a pen from the lady in your row who has a purse full of them because 
gonna ask you to write some things down so you can see it in your own writing today. And um, so you're gonna face some new things in the new year. You're gonna face some new things in 2016. Some of them will be positive, encouraging things. Some of you are gonna get married. Some of you are gonna add to your family, have a, have a child. Some of you are gonna move into a new home, maybe get a new job. Some of you will become grandparents for the first time. You'll have a little grandbaby to dote over. Some of you will face other things that'll be more difficult. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll become an empty nester this next year or you'll face a, a health challenge that's really going to stretch you or maybe your kids are gonna give you fits this year. I, I don't know. You're gonna face some new things in 2016 But my question is this, will you be the kind of person who will be able to face whatever comes your way with grace? And will you be able to count it all joy, no matter what happens? And will you keep clinging to Jesus? And and will you have eyes to see what God is doing through the circumstances in your life to grow you and to bring him glory? To me, that's the question. And so I wanna talk about some holy habits this morning. Some holy habits that for centuries have helped believers in Jesus navigate the the twists and turns of life with grace and with joy while helping them keep their focus on Jesus. And I know that there's a danger in preaching on habits. I'm aware of that. And I hope that you won't misunderstand me or or misunderstand the purpose of these habits or misread my heart in, in sharing them with you. Understand, I'm not giving you a checklist of things that you need to, to check off and mark off in order to be a good Christian, okay? I'm not doing that. Nor am I trying to put you back on the performance treadmill that we've talked a lot about around here, which is so exhausting and, and, and leads to you feeling defeated. I'm not trying to do that either. I want you to know that developing these habits is not about trying to get God to like you more, treat you better, or it's not stuff that you can do so that you can kind of twist his arm to get, to get him to give you what you want from him. All those things would be totally missing the point. These are simply time-tested, proven, spiritual practices that Christians down through the ages have sought to build into their lives. And they've done so in order to grow closer to Christ and and position themselves under an open heaven so that they can hear the Lord speaking to them. They do these things in order to keep their joy tanks full no matter what happens to them and and to minister and spread Christ's love to others. Now you know me, if you've been around, you know me. You know I like to focus on the aspect of the Christian life that that I call the done aspect, D-O-N-E. You know I like to to remind you constantly of what Christ has done for you and for me, right? You know that I love talking about the it is finished work of Christ and that we live on this side of it is finished. That Jesus did all the heavy lifting to purchase and provide for your salvation and for mine, for my forgiveness and and redemption. I I love preaching and proclaiming that and I say often that, that you have but to repent of your sin and believe in the good news. And Jesus will forgive you and save you because he already paid for all your sins on the cross. And then he rose from the grave for your eternal life, for your justification. I love talking about the completed work of Jesus. But 
I think we all do need to understand that having received that gift, which many, many of you have in this room, having received that gift by faith, we need to understand that we do have a role in our ongoing growth from that point. We understand that, right? We are called to cooperate with God's sanctifying work in our lives once we've received his salvation. So there is the done aspect of the Christian life and there is the do aspect of the Christian life. And if you doubt that, listen to some of these scriptures. Consider 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you hear it? Grow. Or 2 Peter 1.5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge. Or Philippians 2.12, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Or one of my favorites, 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, <laughs> but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, you been to the gym yet this year? Working out? It's of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So do you see the action words there, the imperatives? Grow, make every effort, work out the salvation that is in your heart. Train yourself for godliness. And listen, that word train in 1 Timothy 4, 7 in the original Greek language, you know what that word is? Gymnazo from which we get our word, gymnasium, yeah. So Paul is writing a young pastor and he says, look, go to the gym, go to the gym, work out, get on a workout plan for godliness. Establish a training regimen for your own spiritual fitness and strengthening and development because godliness holds promise both for this life and for the next life. So we see this, right? Done leads to do. Christ's work for us fuels and prompts our efforts, our work at growing and obeying and working out and training ourselves. Do you see this? I've heard it called grace-driven effort and I like that term, grace-driven effort. I think it captures it. It stands in contrast to performance-driven effort. Performance-driven effort says work hard and you'll be accepted. Grace-driven effort says you are accepted in Jesus. Let that fuel your desire to work hard at growing spiritually. That's what Paul was talking about when he said things like, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Grace-driven effort. Or when he wrote, to this end I labor, struggling with all of his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Do you see this? So I, before launching into these habits, I just wanted to be clear about this. These are, these are rhythms of grace. So, Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, what can I do 
to get prepared for all that's gonna come at me in 2016? (laughs) What can I build into the rhythm of my life to fortify my soul and position me to hear from God and maintain my joy and stay focused on Jesus so I can wring out of every situation all that God has in mind for me in 2016? Thanks for asking. Here we go. Seven habits of highly joyful, Jesus-loving, difference-making people. Each one of these could have its own sermon, so I'm just gonna get to touch on each one briefly. Habit number one. Number one, daily quiet time with God. You knew I was gonna talk about that. Daily quiet time with God, like Mary, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, while her sister Martha was scurrying around making the preparations. Mary sitting at the feet of the master, quietly listening and learning. Like Mary, all of us who know Jesus would do well, listen, to establish a pattern of carving out some time every day. You gotta carve it out. Your life's busy, you got lots going on. Carving out some time every day to spend alone with your Lord and your Savior Jesus. Daily, quiet time with Jesus. For me, this is the hub. This is the source, this is the fountain of every other good thing in my life. When I miss my daily quiet time with the Lord, which I do sometimes, it shows. I start to come undone, I start to come unraveled, I'm easily frustrated. The old selfishness starts to creep back in. I I get ticked off at people, I get ticked off at discourteous drivers. I get frustrated with my my wife, my kids. I get ticked off at myself. I just don't do very well when I miss my time with the Lord. So I don't do this because it's some sort of rule or legalistic thing I gotta do. I do it because I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Quiet time with God. Christians have practiced this for millennia. And, and whatever else happens during that time, two things need to happen. You need to hear from God through his word and you need to speak to God. God speaking to you through his word, the Bible, and you responding by speaking to God. God speaking to you through his word, you talking to God. It's a conversation in your quiet time with God, your loving Father in heaven talking to you about your life and about his heart and you speaking back to God in prayer. The word and prayer, the word and prayer. I am so grateful for all the mentors down through the years who have impressed upon me the value of having daily quiet time with God, and I want to impress it upon you if you don't already have that value. There are so many benefits to having daily quiet time with God, I just started listing some. Clarity, focus, perspective, encouragement joy, peace, strengthening, hope, learning, knowledge, insight, direction, and many, many more things. Out of my quiet times with the Lord have come promptings in what to say to my kids, in what not to say to my wife, you know, in what email to not send. Don't send that, Steve. Do not send that email. It's not a good idea. 
promptings and wisdom and, and, and insight into my life, into decisions, which way to go, Lord, which way to go here. So valuable to me. Who I should be spending time with. Steve, I see their face right in front of my, my, my eyes. That person needs you to reach out to them. That person needs you to pray with them or for them. I love my daily quiet time with God. If you're starting out, so, so for me, I wanna talk with God before I talk with any human beings in the morning, okay? I wanna hear from God before I hear from any fellow humans in the morning. So I'm a morning guy. I need my quiet time in the morning. It's like a front end alignment for me, having gotten knocked out of alignment the previous day. For you, it may be in the morning. Maybe at noontime, I have friends who carve out some time during their lunch break. It may be after school or after work or later on in the evening, somewhere in your day. I urge you to establish a rhythm of spending some time alone with your Lord. He's worth it, isn't he? He loves you, he gave his life for you, he wants a relationship with you. You build relationships through time. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E, time together. Maybe if you're starting out, it's five minutes. Could you carve out five minutes? I know your life's busy. I know you got lots going on, but five minutes for God or 15 or 30. Sometimes my conversations with God, I just kind of lose track of time and an hour went by like that because he's just that way. There is no one more replenishing, refueling, reigniting to be with than your Lord. Your Lord, daily quiet time with God. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is no one on earth I desire besides thee. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In my daily time with God, I'm reminded of that. God, you're all I need. You are all I need. So how to go about it if it's a new thought for you. Let me give you a couple of just practical things. First, there's an app called the Daily Audio Bible. You might want to write that down for your device. The Daily Audio Bible. It's wonderful. You can turn that on while you're doing your hair, whatever you do in the morning. The Daily Audio Bible. Oh, and if you haven't picked up yet one of these New Life journals in our, in our bookstore, lots of different covers, They've got uh, Bible reading plans, prayer plans, a section for your small group where you can write down you know, their prayer requests. There's a place to put your sermon notes in the back so they don't end up on the floorboard in the back of your car or that black hole in the back of your Bible. New Life Journal can be the hub of your daily quiet time with God. It's beginning of January, new year, you might wanna pick up a daily devotional. This is the one I recommended last year. It's still good by Paul Tripp, New Morning Mercies. Every day, a scripture-based, gospel-centered daily devotional for you. Number one, daily quiet time with God. Number two, holy habit number two, weekly connection time with a small group. Weekly connection time with a small group. So I love my daily quiet time and I love my weekly small group that I'm connected with. And uh, some of them are here in this celebration today. Love you guys. I believe, listen, I believe that every follower of Jesus Christ would benefit from being part of a weekly small group. A group of fellow journeyers to walk through life together with. You know, it's intriguing to me 
when I look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels that part of his plan, his strategic plan, obviously was to form and be part of a small group, right? 12 guys. He said, I am calling you to be with me. I wanna do life together with you. Follow me, he said. Can you imagine around the campfire at night with Jesus, talking about the day, Peter's screw-ups, you know, the things that came out of his mouth, you know, singing together, laughing together, cutting up, doing s'mores together at the fire. Did they have s'mores back then? I don't know. Life, sharing life, talking about what God was up to, what God is doing. And think about that for a minute. If, if, if the eternal son of God felt he needed to be in a small group, how about you? How about me? I've been in small groups of one kind or another for 35 years, and I don't ever envision myself not being in a small group. When I'm 97 and have a cane, you know, I'll get there. I might get there late, but I'm gonna be at small group. <laughs> Maybe we'll just have it at our place, and that solves that problem. <laughs> hey, right now is a great time to jump into a group, right? Beginning of a new year, feels like a new season, uh, many of our groups took a short break over the holidays. Great time to jump in right now. And, and you're in a church that is pro-small groups. We have a small groups pastor, Dr. J. Fireball, the guru of all things small groups. And, and if you don't know how to get started, how do I get connected? It's a big church, lots of people. Just easy, jump started. Check the little box on your card that says interested in a small group and someone will contact you and give you a few possibilities, okay? Now, usually people have to try out two or three or four different groups to just kind of find that good fit. That's okay, our group leaders understand that. It's always worth the effort though. And um, listen, I'm not saying that being in a small group is easy. And I'm not saying that you should expect your experience to always be glorious all the time. Because it won't be, you're with, Human beings, right? You're gonna get crosswise with other people from time to time. Look, there will likely be times of great joy and some times of messiness. What I am saying is that walking with a few other people who are on the same journey will be of great benefit to you, just, just in facing life, as well as in walking with Christ. You know, this Christianity thing was never meant to be a solo sport. It was meant to be a team effort. Now, I know some of you, are th I know you, I know some of you are thinking, you know, thanks, Steve, I don't really need that, I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't really need that group thing. I get a little, you know, nervous about that sort of thing. And what I would challenge you with is this thought, well, even if that's true, and I'm not sure that it is, but even if it's true, what if other people need you? What if you have something to offer? What if you have a contribution to make to someone's life, but they're missing out on it because you're not in group? I mean, what if you twisted it around and, and looked at it that way instead of it always being like, what's, what's in this for me? What if, what if you have something to offer someone else? We all have something to offer, and I, I really hope you'll take this challenge to heart this year. All right, daily quiet time with God, weekly connection time with a small group, 
I'm a little bit behind on time, so I gotta speed up. Number three, monthly sharpening time with a spiritual partner. Monthly sharpening time with a spiritual partner. Let me ask you this question. Is there anybody in your life that you've given permission to to peek into your soul and see your heart? Is there anybody in your life that you meet with regularly to whom you have given access to your life, to your past, your successes and your failures, your hurts and your struggles, whom you've spent enough time with and shared with that they know your hopes and your dreams for the future? Anybody like that? Or think about it from more of a mentoring perspective. Would you benefit from meeting once a month with a trusted friend who's ahead of you? Like ahead of you in life, or ahead of you in marriage, or ahead of you in parenting, or ahead of you in walking with Jesus, or ahead of you in ministry. Would you benefit from that? Most people I talk with say, Yeah, yeah, I would, I need that in my life. I I need a mentor, a partner like that in my life. I want that. For me, I've had a number of spiritual partners and mentors through the years. Some I was with for just a short season, others for decades. It's always been extremely beneficial. You know, I was talking just this week with a man in our church who's been meeting regularly with a younger fella. And the younger guy's not in church right now, he's, he's been away from the Lord, but he sought this man out, and that's the way it often happens, the younger kind of seeking out the older. And so I was talking with the guy in our church, and he said, you know, uh, there's a few things that are surprising me about this, men- this new mentoring relationship I'm in. He said, first off, this young guy, he calls me pastor. <laughs> and he said, I'm, I'm like, like I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor, and the guy insists on calling him a pastor, and, and what, what my friend realized, he said, you know what, this guy doesn't have anybody else who's caring for his soul. He doesn't have anybody else in his life who's watching over him. He views me as his pastor, his shepherd, and everybody needs a shepherd. So he said, that kind of surprised me. He said, the other, Steve, the other thing that's surprising me is, in our, you know, we get together, we meet at a restaurant, and we, we talk, and, and he said, our interactions are as beneficial to me as they are to him. And he said, that's kind of surprising me as well. In fact, he said, we, we meet at this one restaurant, and he said, we get so animated and into our conversation, talking about life and Jesus and all this, so we just, we just we, you know, we're in a zone, and we're talking about that, he said, every once in a while, we'll stop, and we'll realize everybody else is kind of staring at us, and he said, he said, one time, he said, there was a group of Latino guys at an adjacent table, and one of the guys at that table was translating for the others what they were saying. <laughs> and I ask you this morning, Who are you getting in animated conversations with about life and love and Jesus? Is there anybody like that in your life that if others were listening in, eavesdropping, they'd want to translate it so that it could be passed on to others? Who are you allowing to build into your life these days? Anyone? Who has access into your heart? And what younger person are you pouring your life into? You know, Jesus had his Peter and James and John. Paul poured into Timothy and Titus. Barnabas had mentored Paul. Elijah had Elisha. All of us would benefit from being in a spiritual partnership in 2016. Would you pray about that? If you're not, would you pray about that? Would you ask the Lord to show you who, who in your life might be a candidate for that kind of a relationship that you could seek out and approach? 
and say, would you pray about this? It could change your life. Habit three could change your life. Holy habit number four, prioritizing every seven days worship with your church family. Prioritizing every seven days worship with your church family. There are things that happen here in this room that don't and can't really happen in any other setting. Did you know that? I mean, tell me, where else, when you have a troubled heart, where else can you just simply lift your hand and within seconds, five or six people are gathered around you, putting their hands on your shoulders and praying for you? I mean, that happens here, right? Where else can you go to a prayer partner and you say, I'm, 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 I, I feel like there's a wall between me and God or me and other people. I, I'm not hearing from the Lord. Where else can you go to someone who's been trained to pray over you so that barriers get removed and freedom comes in once again? Where else can you join your voice up with those of brothers and sisters around you, as raspy as it may be or as good as it may be, and lift up musical praise to God and be transported up into the very throne room of God? and be invigorated once again and refreshed by his glorious presence. Where else in our world can you experience those things? All of us need this, all of us need this. God created us with an every seven days Sabbath rhythm that he designed for our good, not to be a yoke around our necks, oh I gotta go to church again. No, but to be a source of replenishment and refueling of our souls. Didn't Jesus say the Sabbath was made for man? It's for you. You need this. I need it. The scriptures also say in Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And do you see the day approaching? That's the day of Jesus' return. Do you see it? And as it gets closer and closer and closer, you and I need the encouragement that flows into our souls from being together as God's beloved people. I need it when I see the darkness that's going on out there. I look forward to being with the beloved people of God. It's so encouraging. We all need this. And I know the cultural trend is going elsewhere, but my experience with people who want to grow as Christians, people who take their faith seriously, is that they still make worshiping on weekends a priority in their life. As Stephen Covey would say, they put the big rocks in first, and then they fill in the gaps with the other stuff. They wrap their lives, their schedules around the big rocks, the priorities, the core values, and they fit other things in where they can. First things first, as Covey said. They look forward to Sabbath rest with their families to come and be with God's people, replenish their souls, realign their focus, and re-engage with their church family. So this is a, a wonderful habit. I hope you'll recommit to this holy habit in 2016. And speaking of our church family, habit number five, habit Holy habit number five is joyfully serving your church family on a ministry team. Notice I said joyfully. 
You know, I don't know if you know this, but this year we are sponsoring a, a summer trip to the Holy Land. Did you know that? First time in almost 20 years. It's gonna be hosted and led by our own Christian celebrities, Dr. J and Janet Firebaugh are gonna be hosting this tour. And I hope that a number of you will go, that you'll consider this, that you'll save up your pennies and go to the Holy Land this summer with, with Jay and Janet. It's gonna be a, a great time. I've not yet been to the Holy Land. I hear it's a moving experience. I'd love to go one day. But one of the sites you will see if you go over to Israel is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because everything in it is dead. Living things don't do well in the Dead Sea. I'm told that the water in the Dead Sea is kind of thick and soupy and salty and smelly and gross. Kind of the consistency of, I don't know, cream of wheat, you know, or oatmeal or something. You can sit in it. I mean, it's just gross. Now, one of the reasons the Dead Sea is like that is because it has an inlet, but it has no outlet. So the Jordan River that flows south in Israel flows into the Dead Sea, but then all the contents just kind of sit there and stagnate and eventually they just stink. Now, have you ever heard the term Dead Sea Christian? As an analogy, a Dead Sea Christian, that refers to a Christian who is always taking in Bible studies, sermons, taking in, taking in, but has no outlet is not giving out and before long, like the Dead Sea, they begin to stagnate and, yes, stink. You know what, we all need an outlet. Here's what I believe, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it drops from our head down into our hearts, creates a kind of spiritual internal combustion that creates a pressure that wants to be released. It longs for an outlet. I know this is the case because I've had so many conversations with you over the past few years. Pastor Steve, something's churning up inside me. I got a passion for Jesus, what do I do? What do I do, where's my outlet? After uh, one of our Christmas Eve services just last week, I was talking right out here to a lady in our church She's been coming here for many years and she used to be very active and involved. She used to, to serve a lot here and then, as happens, kind of got away from it over the years. I thought what was interesting to me is she came up to me and she said these words, Pastor Steve, I think I need an outlet. I'm taking in a lot but I haven't been giving out. And I, I said, I agree. You, I, we all need an outlet to, excuse me, to serve others. And I'll say it like this, not only do you need an outlet to serve, but your church family needs you to serve. I mean, this is a huge team effort here. Hundreds of people offering their gifts and their time and their efforts to keep the work of the gospel advancing forward. Everybody's participation is needed. Even if you feel you don't have much to offer, I'm telling you, there's a place for you here. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, other scriptures tell us of the importance of all of us getting off the bench and into the game where the action is and the joy is. I especially like 1 Peter 4.10, which says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
serving your church family in a ministry. In a few weeks, we're gonna explore this and explain this a little bit more and, and really lay out a path where you can get more involved in serving here in this church. So that's habit number five. Almost there, holy habit number six. Cheerful, consistent, sacrificial giving to the Lord's work. Now, some of you, this is your first Sunday in church in a long time. Maybe you made a New Year's resolution. And now I'm up here talking about giving your money to God's work. And you're thinking, oh no. You know, there are churches that are known for harping on this, right? Week in and week out and it gets under some people's skin. And, and I want you to know that we don't really do that here. We don't like harp on this all the time, but neither do we apologize for calling on God's people to give to his work. We don't apologize for that. We say what the scriptures say. We call upon one another to gratefully invest our financial resources in God's work through his church. Listen, the work of the gospel is the greatest work in all the world because it impacts this life and eternity. And we all get to share in contributing to the advancement of the good news in our families, in our community, in our world. The call to generosity, it's all over the New Testament. It's an important part of following Jesus. He said, freely you have received, freely give. Remember that famous statement he made, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That tells us that our heart follows our money. Right? If you want your heart to be into something, your affections, your devotion, your passion, your commitment to be into something, invest in it. Financially, fund it. Devotion follows dollars, that's the principle. And, and I believe this particular holy habit is one that many of us in this church would do well to cultivate, not just for the sake of prospering the work of the church, but for your sake, because we live in a covetous culture. You see, disciples of Jesus are those whose eyes have been opened to see that Jesus and the gospel are worth everything. And that, listen, God owns it all anyway. He owns it all. We're simply stewards or managers, right, of what he has entrusted to us during our 70 or 80 years or whatever it is, and one day, the owner of all things is going to come back. And he's gonna want an accounting of how we stewarded the resources that he entrusted us with, and on that day, on that day, you will be so super glad that you invested heavily in his work on this day. And if you haven't, you're gonna be a bit ashamed. And I would love to save you from that. By the way, on this topic, because of technology, there are now more ways to give towards the mission of new life than ever before. <laughs> It's kind of crazy, this age we live in, right? So we put in your worship folder a little blue insert. It says five ways to give to new life, and there's new ways. Our church now has an app. We haven't really publicized it until recently, but a couple hundred people have already downloaded the app onto their device, a little new life app with our logo on it. In that, you can give through the app now. You can text to give. You can even drop a check in the offering bag when it goes around. <laughs> Newfangled way of giving. I mean, there's just some great ways now to give and just get this into the rhythm of your life. This is what I do as a Christian. 
I give the first fruits of my income back to God because it's a statement of priority that he is in my life and how much I love the work of the gospel. So, check that out. Holy habits, daily quiet time with God, weekly connection time with a small group, monthly sharpening time with a partner, making weekend worship a priority, serving in a ministry, consistently giving to the work of God, and number seven, we made it. Lovingly extending God's mercy to those who do not yet know Jesus. There's a lot I could say here. I just want to share a verse with you. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. And I ask you, what would possess someone to ask you for the reason for the hope that you have? And I would suggest that what would possess someone to do that is if they see hope in your life. I'm talking about the people that you hang out with on your campus, at school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, whatever, all the environments you're in. Do they see you as a person of hope? Or do they see you as a person of judgment and condemnation? Now look, if you're hanging around folks and they feel a little uncomfortable about their life, that's okay, that's part of the process, right? understanding where they stand with God. But, but listen, judgment is not what's supposed to be coming from us. Condemnation is not what Jesus designed for us to, to communicate to others. What is is hope. You know, what I believe about the first six habits, if we cultivate these into our lives, you know what I think they work together to produce? Hope. It's not about some list to check off, you know, I've been, I've been a good Christian this week. No, this is about increasing your hope quotient, increasing your love quotient. What would it be like if a year from now, a year from now, a coworker came up to you and said, hey, Bill, hey, Susie, I just, could we talk? I've just been watching you this year. You maybe didn't realize this. I've been watching you this year and you've got something I don't have talking to a guy two weeks ago and he had that very conversation verbatim with a coworker. You got something I don't have. Could, could we talk? What are you into that keeps you hopeful and hope-filled in the midst of this life, in the midst of the things that you've gone through? Because I know your, your life isn't easy. I know you've gone through some things and yet somehow you, you, you've got hope. Wouldn't it be great to have that conversation at the end of the year and be able to respond and say, well, Let me share with you the reason for the hope that is in me. I have a relationship with a person named Jesus. He's invisible, I can't see him, I can't touch him, but by faith I believe in him and I know his voice and I hear his word and he walks with me through life. And I get up in the morning and I I spend time with him. And if there's any strength in me, if there's any hopefulness in me, it's not because of how awesome I am, it's because I know Jesus. And by the way, if you're interested, you could know him too. 
Wouldn't that be great to have conversations like that? Some of you do, many of you do. Oh, how I want that for you in 2016, to live that kind of hope-filled, joy-filled life that it demands an answer. It demands an answer. Well, seven habits, seven habits. But here's what I'm curious to know. I'm wondering, how many of you had already been thinking about this? You'd already been feeling a pull towards building one or more of these habits into your life, even before you came to church today, even before hearing this sermon. God was already talking to you about one or more of these. Could I, could I see your hands? Because last service, it was like half the congregation. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God is at work. He's already been speaking to you. This is just reinforcing, right? What the Lord's already saying to you. And if he's saying that to you, then what that tells me is he wants to give you the desire and the ability to build these rhythms of grace into your life, to expand your hope and expand your influence for him. He's good, isn't he? The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Well, I mentioned earlier that I'm, I've been feeling impressed to make this a year to draw near. 2016, a year of drawing near to God for New Life Church. And so as I prayed about today, I thought, well, what if we just started out the year that way in prayer? What if we just spent some time right now drawing near to God in prayer? And so in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to actually come and take a place, kneel around this lower platform or, or up at the altar. You can stand if you'd like. Maybe you need your joy back. Maybe 2015 sucked the joy out of you. You wanna come and say, Lord, I need my joy tank filled back up by you. Please be gracious to me in 2016. Maybe you just wanna love Jesus more. Maybe like me, you want your life to have more impact on others for God in 2016 and you're just crying out to God, use me, use me, Lord. I'm, I'm here, I'm available been talking about good habits, maybe you need strength to overcome a bad habit. You're saying, Pastor Steve, you know, I'd love to do all these seven things, but I got this big thing that looms in my life I just can't beat. Would you come and just hit your knees and say, Lord, please make your victory on the cross applicable in my life this year? Or yes, give me strength to develop one of these new habits. I need greater self-discipline to master my desires. Maybe you have lost loved ones who don't know Jesus yet and you're, you wanna come and plead for their soul in 2016. Lord, save them, Lord, save them. My dad, my son, my sibling. Or maybe you wanna just come with your spouse or you, and your family and just commit this year to God right at the front edge of a new year. Lord, this is your year, it's, 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 it's yours, we're yours. And so let me pray for you and then we'll do that. Lord, thank you for a new year. Lord, I truly pray for my friends in this room that this would be a year of greater joy, of deeper love for Christ, and greater impact on others. Lord, I believe you're calling us this year to draw near to you. And so right now, we want to do that. I pray you'd hear the prayers of your people. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. 
Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.